Good morning. It is great to be here. We only have two more Sundays until we're in the park, so I'm really excited. I'm getting out my like sweatshirts and jackets, gearing up for the first couple weeks. It's always kind of chilly, but I like that. It's nice and crisp. Um, we also are bringing back donuts this year, so I know, I know. <laughs> the highlight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I wanted to give a special um, just shout out to those people that are watching online with us. Um, whether you guys know it or not, we have many people that are still watching online, and so I just wanted to take a minute to recognize them, say you are seen, we love you, we're so glad that you are still a part of this church. Um, specifically, there's Heather Butler, uh, Jeannie Wall, Gloria Harnack, Michelle Luscombe, there's so many others, so we just want to say hello, we're glad that you're here today, and thank you for worshiping with us. Jason, I'm going to bring you up, we're going to pray, and he's got a good message once again. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you um, just for this week. I thank you for all of the things that you are doing and growing and showing in and through us, God. I thank you for Jason and just his obedience to you, um, his discernment and his, his um, searching for what you uh, would have him speak about and speak on and, and the things that you're saying, no, don't talk about that. Um, he's being obedient and he's listening. So God, I thank you for that. I thank you that each week he's bringing something that we can apply to our everyday lives. It's not necessarily hard, but there are things, God, that we need your help with. So I pray this week that we would um, not just retain the words and the things that we have learned, but that we would live them out. Mm. Spirit, I ask that you would just guide us, lead us, um, give us those wisdom and discernment, especially in the tough times and hard moments when we don't always act the way that you would have, ask of us. God, we love you, and we want to serve you with all that we are, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I can't believe two weeks in the park. I do have a question. What does it mean to be converted to mayo? I don't <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> um, it is so great to have you all here. Um, we're on the last of our series, the last of the weeks on the unconvenience life, and how many of you, have you as you're reading the Bible... As you're listening to a message or a podcast, whatever it is, you find yourself going, God, I don't know how I'm going to do that. You know what I'm talking about? You read something and it's challenging and it hits you at a place where you are sitting there going, I just, I don't think I can do that. That's actually the nature of what God's word is supposed to be like in us. That when we're reading the Bible, when we're letting the Bible read us, we're going to come in contact with things that challenge us, that push us to be different. Now, here's the thing. We're not supposed to do that in the flesh. In fact, what we're supposed to do is doing it through leaning into God's Word, into the Holy Spirit, allowing God to reveal the areas in our life that need to grow. Amen? And it's about a relationship. And the unconvenienced life is really about us stepping into the path of the Holy Spirit and God's Word so that He can shape us into who He wants us to be as men and women of the King. Now, I'll tell you, as I've been going through each week, it's amazing how every single time I'm getting ready to preach, there's something happening that week that's a reminder that I need this message. That as I'm walking, and this is no exception, I'm coming into this message and God's like, you know, Jason, this is still an area where you need some growth. Now, here's the thing. Those tensions, those areas in us when we feel insecure, when we're struggling to go, God, I, I still, I'm a work in progress, that should encourage us, not discourage us. Because here's the thing, God's not shocked by your sin. He's not shocked by my sin. He knows my heart even better than I do. 
And so when I come to those times, when I look at these things, the, the path that Jesus is calling you and me to is not one of shame, but one of obedience. One of where we just simply, obedience means to come into the Lord and say, God, this is still an area where I need to grow. Now let's talk a little bit about what we've been through in this series. We talked about murder and its connection to anger, that in God's economy, anger and murder are connected. They're rooted in the same thing. We've talked about pride, adultery, lust, divorce. And then last week, Kate Garner, our children's director, did an amazing job walking us through oaths and how often we do not honor our yes and our no's. Uh, the Bible calls us to let our yes be yes and our no's be no. Now, I, I want to say I'm so proud of our staff and our volunteers and all those who lead at Zion. And as we look at what God's been doing, God's been doing some pretty remarkable things here in our church. Amen? It's pretty cool to see what God is doing. We're seeing a lot of new families, a lot of young families. And as we look at this, it's not because we're perfect. It's because we serve a perfect king. And that's who we're pointing people towards. It's not about pointing people to Zion. It's about pointing people to Jesus. Now, um, I didn't share this last service, but I feel like I'm supposed to at this one. Uh, I was in prayer a few weeks ago. And I felt like the Lord really challenged me on some things. And I want you to hear my heart. The Z of Zion should never be bigger than the cross of Christ. Let me say that one more time. The Z of Zion should never be bigger than the cross of Christ. We are here to point people to Jesus, not to our church. Now, do we want to be a church that grows? Yes, because God grows His church. But our focus should always be on Jesus. And so as we're looking at this, we're reminded that this whole series is about God wanting to help you and I to look more like Jesus. Now, some of the stuff that we've been going through, maybe you don't struggle with anger. Maybe you're not struggling with pride or lust. And, and actually, the, sometimes we get so used to how comfortable our lives are that we don't have major issues that we forget that God is still in the business of wanting to shape us on a daily basis. My wife and I like watching those home renovation shows. And sometimes you go in and the home actually has great bones, there's no roof issues, the paint is good, electrical's good, but then you go inside and what you find is a house that was like 300 pounds and cost $1,000. And the entire time you look at it, you're like, wow, not much has changed. Sometimes for us as Christians, we forget that God wants to do daily renovations in us. That yes, you might be good overall, but those still those tweaks, those areas of adjustments where the Holy Spirit wants to work in you. Now for others of you, this series has been really challenging because you're realizing that your roof, the roof of your soul is in spiritual disrepair. You're realizing that maybe the plumbing and the electrical wire is not so great, or you've got like spiritual black mold growing all over the place. But regardless of where you are, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is continuing to want to change you and me every day. And I want to offer a challenge to you. And please hear this because this is a challenge that I'm trying to live in myself. If you have not grown as a Christian in 20 years, 10 years, even over the last two months, you might be somebody who's just gotten comfortable and not allowing the Holy Spirit to start doing that work of growing you every day. Does that make sense? And it's a challenging thing, and that's really what this has been about, is that the Holy Spirit wants to do, always wants to do the work of remodeling, renovating you and I as disciples so that we look more like Jesus, so our church looks more and more like Jesus. Now, um, 
as we're looking at this, I want to play a quick game that's leading up to today's message. Now, I grew up a child of the 80s and the 90s, and I love action movies, so we're going to have a little fun here. And, and when you know the answer, just shout it out. But I'm going to say a movie quote, and I'm going to see if you guys can tell me where it's from. Now, there's pictures to help. Are you guys ready for this? You guys ready to play? Now, I need you to shout. You men especially. Come on, manly. Come on, let's do it. Here we go. There we go. Ready? Hasta la vista, baby. Who said it? Terminator 2, that's right. you got to say 2, not 1. Terminator 2. Do you feel lucky, punk? Well, do you? Dirty Harry. Anybody under 30 is like, who's dirty? What? What? Someone's dirty? Go get clean. Stick around. Did you like my Arnold impersonation? It's not the bomb. You know, so, stick around. Who said it? Predator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. My favorite one. Anybody in the 80s and 90s, you should know this. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. We all know this. My daughter especially. The good guy bringing justice to the bad guy. You know what I'm talking about? There's something inside of me that whenever justice is being done, when the wrong, the person who's doing wrong comes to justice, and it's usually through an act of violence. I like those movies. Now, here's the problem. So often as Christians, we take our cues from Hollywood instead of Jesus. And there's something about our culture that is obsessed with revenge and personally feeling like that's what we're supposed to do, that justice comes through violence. That's how we end conflict. Now, over the last several weeks, I've talked about Marvel movies and the Avengers are called the Avengers for a reason. Is because they don't just come in and do diplomacy. They always enact violence with violence. And there's this great quote, and it, I mean, it's inspiring. You listen to it, and you're like, man, how does this not inspire you? It's from, uh, it's from Captain America, Avengers Age of Ultron. Here we go. You get hurt, hurt them back. You get killed, walk it off. Last time I checked, the only person who ever walked off getting killed was Jesus. But here, there's something inside of that that just pours into who we are as human beings. And the reason for it is that all of us understand what it's like to be wronged. If I asked you to raise your hands, and I'm not, I guarantee you, if I asked you to raise your hand, have you ever been wronged? Every single person in this room would raise their hand. Nobody likes to be stepped on, taken advantage of, trampled, or abused. And when that happens, our flesh, the human side of us, wants justice. We want somebody to come to our rescue or we want to defend ourselves. It's part of our human nature. But is this what Jesus has called us to? If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Again, I want to encourage us, bring your Bibles. If you have it on your phone, that's cool too. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Jesus, once again, is quoting Moses because, again, he's talking to the Jews. But this isn't one of the Ten Commandments. This was one of the extra laws that are given to the people of Israel. And it actually comes from several places, but there are two verses in particular, two sources. Exodus 21, 23 through 25 says this. But if there is serious injury... You are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. In Deuteronomy 19.21, Moses tells them this, show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. 
For the Jews who had just escaped Egypt and Pharaoh, where they had been oppressed for hundreds of years, brought and delivered by Moses, the Israelites are wandering in the desert trying to get to the promised land. And while they're wandering, they need a law. They need laws to protect them. And here's the thing. They've just come out of an oppressive system where they've had wrongs done to them. But human nature, again, is to escalate. That when somebody hurts me, we want to hurt them back. And so God, in his sovereignty, brings a law to make sure that justice doesn't go beyond its measure. Let me explain. It's called lex talionis. And here's the idea behind it. Now, interestingly, whenever we always want to talk about justice, we tend to quote Moses. Eye for an eye, Jason. Now, here's the idea. See, this is not just a movie quote. It's not just a good one-liner. The idea of eye for an eye is actually meant to bring true justice. And here's why. You're not the one who brings it. They were supposed to bring an accusation if there was a problem to a court, just like our systems. Vigilantes, people who take justice in their own hands, have broken the law, right? That was true back then. But why did they do it? Well, because human nature is to escalate. You're not the one who takes an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You're not the one who is to show no pity. He's actually talking to the judges when they have deemed that a wrong has been done. But why did they do it? Well, the idea is to make sure that the laws are not about revenge, but a way to assure an appropriate, measured, and equal response to wrongdoing. Human beings need a justice system that limits our ability to cause harm. So think of it like this, and this is kind of how our culture works. You knock out my tooth, I knock out all of your teeth. You put my brother in the hospital, I put your family in the morgue. I'm waiting to see who's looking up. I'm not looking back. I'm not doing it. Human nature is to escalate, isn't it? When one person does wrong to us, we don't do equal wrong. We go above and beyond to cause more harm. Because that's what sin does. Sin wants to cause as much harm as possible. So when somebody does wrong to us, our natural response is to not just want an equal harm, but more harm. And so God says, listen... If you lose an eye, the other person loses an eye, not an eye and a hand. If you kill, if your brother is killed or your, your wife is killed, you don't go and kill multiple people. That person loses their life. That was the Old Testament law, and it was meant to put things into perspective to make sure that you don't go above and beyond the reaches of the law. Now, there's still problems here because we have what's called blood feuds and honor killings. You guys know who the Hatfield and McCoys are? right? Hatfield, old, old time ago, long time ago. Well, this still exists today. In the Middle East, if you go there, you have blood feuds and honor killings. Here's how a blood feud works. You kill my brother. Well, because you killed my brother, now I'm going to kill your brother. Well, now because I killed your brother and you killed my brother, now I'm not only going to kill your brother, but now I'm going to kill your father and your uncle in response to what you just did. Therefore, what do I need to do? I need to kill your on and on and on and on. And you have generations of violence that happens in the Middle East. But it still happens not just there, but here. Gang violence. Now, in Clear Lake, Iowa, we don't have a whole lot of gang activity. But you go to Mason City, what do we have? We have gangs. What are drive-bys about? Drive-by shootings are retaliation of an eye for an eye. It's one person saying, hey, you shot so-and-so, so now we're going to retaliate against you. But not only are we going to kill anybody from the gang, but anybody around. And thus the cycle goes on 
and on. And Jesus has called us to more than that. Now, when I was a kid, I got bullied a lot. Now, truth be told, I deserve some of it, probably a lot of it. I was a pretty obnoxious kid. But in that bullying, how many of you guys have ever been in a fight, and it wasn't until like hours later you thought about all the cool things you could have done? You know what I'm talking about? Like, first person punched you, man, if I, uh, what I should have was like an uppercut, like a karate kick, and it would have been awesome. Or someone says something mean to you, and you have the instant retaliation four hours later. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, and, and you know, I'm going to see him again. I'm going to tell him what's up. And you get into that mindset. But here's the thing. What did Jesus do through this whole series? He started off by saying, if you have hate in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus calls us to more. But even when children fight, when kids would punch me, I rarely cried because the punch hurt. I cried at the thought that somebody actually hated me enough to hit me. Why? Because no one wants to be demeaned. No one likes to feel less than. And again, going back a few weeks, Jesus says, don't call somebody raka, which means worthless or without value. God has called us to more. There's something inside of us. You see, God put the laws in place not to change our hearts, but to real, reveal the, the damage and limit the damage of our sin. That's the whole purpose of the law. So when we look at Lex Talionis, Jesus doesn't say that an eye for an eye is wrong, but as Christians, we're called to something different. For those who follow Jesus, there is supposed to be a different way, the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, when the Derek Chauvin trial came out, I had made a statement about a belief. It's a personal theology. It is not a doctrine. It is not something that everybody has to agree with. And I had several people come up to me and said, Jason, I was shocked. You made a personal statement about a theological truth or something that you believe, which I rarely do. If you've ever come to Theology on Tap, I usually give multiple perspectives so that you can decide which perspective you want to take as long as it's biblical. And I rarely share my own. But on that day, here's what I said, and I still stand by it. I believe the death penalty is wrong, personally. Now, you can disagree with me, but here's why. Every time someone wants to justify the death penalty, they always quote Moses. Well, Jesus, or didn't Moses say an eye for an eye? But here's the deal. Moses should never supersede Jesus. Jesus calls us to something different. Now, the law is... The government handles the law. That's cool. And if you disagree with me on that, I'm okay with that because it is not something we have to all agree on. But let's look at what Jesus says because, again, Jesus has called us to something different. Matthew 5, 39. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those... Oh, sorry, wrong one. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, uh, can I, Jake Lee, can I get you for a second? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow Jake Lee. Come up here. Jake didn't know I was going to do this. <laughs> Come here, Jake. <laughs> Stand right here. Okay, now Jesus says, turn the other cheek. He says, turn to the, if you get slapped in the right cheek, turn to the other cheek. Now, here's the thing. I'm, gonna, I'm short. Okay, here we go. No, get, get up. Okay, now here's the thing. Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one. How do I slap him on the right cheek? Most people are right-handed. The only way I can do that is to backhand him. Backhanding is a demeaning way. So, okay, so if I hit him here, essentially I'm demeaning his worth. Now, Jesus just said to turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. 
he turns the other cheek, how do I strike that? Well, I could slap that, but here's what's actually going on. Now, there's some disagreement theologically or biblically when people look at this, but here's what I think, and there are some other scholars who would agree with this. Um, if I want to hit him, the only way I can strike him here is either punch him or slap him this way. To do that, I'm calling him an equal. Thank you. You can, you can step down. Everybody give Jake a hand. Way to go, Jake. Woo! All right. So check this out. So here's the thing. Backhanding is a demeaning act. In the ancient world, if you backhanded someone, you were essentially saying they are inferior to you. They are less than you. A master backhands his slave. But an equal, you would punch. Someone who was a threat to you, you would punch. And so maybe, instead of Jesus just promoting pacifism, which is so awesome, so often how we think this verse is about, is Jesus just saying, oh, don't fight back. What if Jesus is actually telling us to get the power dynamic back in a different way? Not through violence. Because the minute you turn the other cheek, you've now offered a choice to that man or woman. Either one, they can punch you, but guess what? You still will not retaliate because that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus is saying, through the rest of these, there's four of them total, he's talking about power dynamics, particularly when an evil person wants to cause harm. So here, Jesus is saying, listen, someone wants to demean you, someone wants to hurt your honor, because that's really what takes place. If you've ever been backhanded, and I have, you feel dishonored. I mean, it's like those old times, you take out the glove and, ha-ha, I slap you across the face, right? It's meant to be a demeaning of the person's value, and yet here, Jesus says, turn the other cheek, but he never calls us to violence. He calls us to prove the heart of a true peacemaker going all the way back to the Beatitudes. You cannot make peace through violence. You can keep peace through violence, but you do not make peace through violence. Sometimes peace comes at the cost of your honor. Sometimes you have to turn the other cheek. In fact, Jesus calls you to turn it. Listen to this. A true follower of Jesus cares more about being honored by God than by man. Your pride can't be wounded when it's found in Jesus. When your identity, when your sense of worth, your esteem, this goes back a few weeks ago, doesn't it? When your esteem is found in Jesus, when somebody demeans you, dishonors you, you don't have to get up in arms. You don't have to retaliate because guess what? You cannot berate somebody or dishonor somebody whose honor is found in Jesus, not in the world. But that's so hard to do, isn't it? Because when somebody dishonors us, our human nature is to respond in kind. Paul said this in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then Jesus goes on and he takes it a step further. So first he, ta he talks about physical retaliation, not an eye for an eye, not about being dishonored, but about you literally saying, hey, I'll turn the other cheek. You can hit that as well. I'm still not going to strike. Matthew 5.40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, what is Jesus talking about in here? Now, again, in the ancient world, this is a different world than ours. Most people did not have closets full of clothes. Most people had a few amount of clothes that they regularly wore together, and you would layer your clothes to keep warm, to stay protected from the elements. You could sue somebody, and you could take all of the inner clothes, but every human being had the right to their outer cloak, called their coat. So if I sued you, and let's say you had done wrong, I could 
legally take everything that you had except for that outer coat. Here's why. If you take that outer coat, you've left the person naked, but also without protection and dignity. Jesus is getting at your rights. Yes, you have the right to keep your outer coat, but what if Jesus calls you to something more? What if in that moment, Jesus again is changing the power dynamic where yes, you have the right to keep your coat, but if somebody's coming after you, if somebody wants to bring harm to you, someone's going after your rights, it's not about being right, it's about being righteous. So what do you do? You give them even more than they ask because it's not about your rights. As Christians, we tend to get obsessed with our rights. Now, I'm grateful for the country that we live in. Our country affords us quite a bit of rights, doesn't it? I mean, I want you to think about, you go to the Middle East, you go to uh, parts of China, there are churches that are persecuted that don't have the right to worship. We live in an amazing country that we can freely worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? We should praise God for that. But sometimes, we think it's more about our rights than living righteously for Jesus. And an example of this is back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the church was all up in arms because they were trying to take the Ten Commandments out of schools. Do you guys remember this? It was all over the news. They were trying to take the Ten Commandments out of schools and out of courthouses. And Christians were suing. No, it's our right to have them there. And here's the thing. I have to ask the question. How did it make the church look when we were fighting over another, whether or not we could keep a mural on a wall? Last time I checked, people didn't come to Jesus because they read the Ten Commandments on the, law, on the wall. They came to Christ because somebody shared the gospel with them. Sometimes when we fight for our rights, we actually get in the way of the gospel. Jesus is calling us to more, to surrender our rights, even when an unrighteous person is coming after them. Jesus then takes it another way. So Jesus never encourages you and I to play victims. Now, here's why I say this. Sometimes people will surrender their rights so that they can look more like a martyr and a victim. As Christians, we are never meant to be played as the victim, but always the person living in victory. We can surrender our rights if we're truly doing it from the place to show that our victory is in Christ, not in what we get to do. That's not always easy to hear. Now, here's the thing. You've now taken the power back. When you've not only turned the other cheek, but now you've given your coat, which you have the right to keep, you've now taken the power back, not by force, but through sacrifice and security in Jesus rather than in your rights. Jesus then goes again and he uses a third example, the extra mile. Now, we've probably all heard this. Sometimes you got to go the extra mile. How many of you have ever heard that before? Go the extra mile. Here's what Jesus says. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Here's where a little backstory is helpful. Uh, Roman occupation, okay? The Roman oppressors came in. They occupied huge territories. One of the largest kingdoms in all of man history was the Roman Empire. A Roman soldier was by law allowed to make any Roman citizen, anyone in the empire, carry their pack or burden for one mile. And if you resisted, they could beat you, they could do all kinds of things. It was illegal to do. However, they were only allowed to make you go one mile. Then they had to find somebody else to carry the pack. Jesus says, if they want you to go one mile, offer to go two. Go the extra mile. Why does Jesus tell us to do this? Now, it follows this theme that's taking place in these other verses. Again, you're turning the other cheek to show a different power dynamic, true power by not resisting. When you're sued, not only can you give them your car, your inside, your t-shirts, whatever it is, give them your security, give them the thing that keeps you safe, surrender your rights. Now Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to take power back the way Jesus does, 
When they say, go one mile, now you go to that Roman soldier and say, hey, let me carry your pack another mile. Now the Roman soldier, by law, has to say, no, I can't let you do that. Now imagine you keep on saying, no, but I insist. Please let me carry it the second mile. No, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I'll get in trouble. No, I insist. Please let me carry that. Now who is the person begging? The Roman soldier. The Roman soldier who had all the power is now in the position of having to beg for mercy so that he doesn't get in trouble. Power dynamics. Jesus is calling us to see the world differently through humility and submission. See, Jesus' authority, his true authority, comes through spiritual authority. Where does that come from? Well, it comes not by force, but through holy subversion through humility, gentleness, and sacrifice. Holy subversion is saying, I'm going to live and be different than the world. And yes, it's still going to show true power. You and I, we need to find the better way, the way of the cross, the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus. Instead of retaliating the way the world does through swords and fists, we retaliate through servanthood. Lastly, he says this, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Uh, In the Old Testament in Exodus, God is a gracious and loving and compassionate God to His people. And one of the things that He asks of His people, and that includes you and I today as followers of Jesus, is that we look and act like Him. So one of the laws that was put in place by the Jews, by God, for the Jews was this. If your fellow Jew is in need... Lend them money, but do not take interest. Do not be like the banker or the lender. Give them the money freely without interest so they can pay it back without an extra burden. Now, what is this saying and what is it not saying? It's not saying that we're just supposed to give money to anybody who needs it. It's talking about if you have the means to provide, provide the means. Why? Because God graciously provides. Exodus twenty two twenty five. If you lend silver to my people, to the poor person among you, you must not be like a creditor to him. You must not charge him interest. But now Jesus is going to come in and say, listen, we need to be different. We need to live and act differently. We need to not hold on to our stuff. Sometimes our stuff has power over us instead of us over it. Jesus is giving us a way to think about the resources that God has provided us so that we can provide for others. Now, how do I know that this isn't just a free-for-all, that every person who asks for money, you're just supposed to give it? Well, first of all, if you don't have money to give, you can't. But also, it's not socialism. This is not everybody gets a free handout. This is about being the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing provision when we have it, but not overcharging, not asking for money, more money in return. It's asking a way for us to care for one another. Now, how do I know this? Paul, or sorry, Peter in Acts chapter 3 comes across a a homeless beggar who's paralyzed. And he's begging and he says, silver and gold, do you have money? And Peter says this, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. What that man needed was not silver and gold, he needed healing. Paul in Thessalonians says, if a man doesn't work, he should not eat. Meaning that this is not about laziness. This is not about me just providing for you because I work hard and you don't. This is about meeting people's needs when they truly have needs. Now here's the kingdom way. We want to love our city for Jesus. 
here at Zion, that's our goal. We want to show Clear Lake, Mason City, Garner, Ventura, Forest City, whoever's around us, that we love them. But before we love them, we must first love one another well. Galatians 6.10, Paul says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. Meaning, let us do whatever we can to care for our neighbors, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. We are called to care for one another. Now, one of the things that's been a problem in our modern culture, and I'm going to say this particularly to those people that are online listening, there are a lot of people who say, oh, Jason, I don't need to go, I don't need to be a part of a church to be saved. That's true. You don't. Nowhere does it say, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and go to church and you'll be saved. It doesn't say that. Faith in Jesus is what saves you. But Jesus loves his bride and he calls us to be a part of a community. You want to know why you need to be a part of a church? Regularly a part of church. Not just at a distance, and we love every person that's online. They're part of our community. But there is something about being in church that is God not only loves it, but calls us to do it. Why? Well, it's not when you don't need it. It's when you do need it is the problem. See, sometimes people won't go to church, and then all of a sudden, cancer happens in the family. Who do they turn to if they're not a part of a church family? Or they hit hard times financially. Someone loses a job. Where do they turn to if you don't have a church family? We're called to be in this church not only because it's the bride of Christ, but we're called to be in community because hard times will come, whether it be emotional, physical, spiritual, relational, financial. Those hard times exist, and we are called to be the body of Christ to one another. And Paul is reminding us, as is Jesus, that we are supposed to be people who care for each other. Does that make sense? That's who the church is supposed to be. Now, I want to highlight something really cool that's happening at Zion. And I'm so proud of Hero Makers, our men's ministry. They have this great idea where they're going to do free oil changes for single parents. And they're doing it out of their own time and money and resources. And here's the thing. You might be hearing this and going, man, I really want to do that. I got to tell you, I'm the least handy person I know. Um, I thought the little oil light on the cap was a genie thing. I'm like, what does this thing do? Like, I don't know how to change oil. Some of you are great with that. If you want to help, contact Jennifer Colby. She'll get you in touch with the men's ministry thing. I think they're doing it in June. Is that right? What's the date? June 19th. Single parents, people in need, they're going to change oil. Or maybe you can't change oil, but you can sponsor and say, hey, I want to help provide financially for that. It's about 50 bucks to change oil now. You have a way of caring for our neighbors. This is not just about Zion people. This is about loving our city. Because Jesus loves this city. Amen? That's what we're called to be. But we don't do it with interest. Because the way of Jesus is radical generosity. So these four things Jesus has just hit. Now I want to talk about these four things very quickly. There's a way of looking at it. And there's three options for each one. For the physical offense, that's your right to honor. You can do an eye for an eye. You could go the Old Testament route, the Moses route, and say, hey, he hit me in the eye, I'm going to punch him right back. But remember, it's not you who's supposed to bring justice. Two, you could go the route of pacifism, which is to take the beating, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about either. This isn't just about taking a beating. Or three, you can turn the other cheek, power through sacrificing your honor. That instead of retaliating, you're realizing that your dignity and honor is found in Jesus. Your safety and security is found in Jesus. Being sued, if someone's taking you to court, you have your rights for your rights. I have the right to this. I have the right to these things. Well, one, you could let them sue you, but keep your coat. That's your right. Two, you could sue them back, retaliation. Three, 
you can give them more. Power through sacrificing your rights. But here's the thing, you're not losing real things, you're losing physical, earthly things. You gain spiritual and eternal things when you do this. Three, going the extra mile, my right to resist. You could walk the mile because you're forced to and you can grumble and complain and be angry and bitter the entire way. Or you can fight back, you can resist and retaliate saying, how dare you, that's not your right to do that to me. I have the right to not do that. Or three, you can go the extra mile, power through sacrificing and kindness and humility. And then lastly, in borrowing, the right to withhold. Some of you like to hold on to your stuff way too much. Some of you are stingy with your stuff, with your money. And I'm talking with particularly, particularly people with resources. And as Americans, most of us have more money than 99% of the world. Some of us want to hold on to our stuff way too tightly. Others of you, you'll lend, but with interest. Well, yeah, I'm going to give this to you, but I want, if I give you 10 bucks, I want 15 back. Or three, give freely to those in need without adding debt. Power through sacrificing what you could have gained. Do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about divorce. I think we'd all agree that divorces can get pretty ugly, can't they? And it's interesting what happens when divorce happens, how quickly we can fall into the eye for an eye mentality. If your spouse cheated on you, I'm going to cheat right back. Uh, they cause harm to me, I'm going to cause harm. You take them to court, you want everything. You want the car, the house, the dog. You want everything in between. You want them to carry the extra financial burden because of the pain they've caused you. You hold petty things over them. But this doesn't just happen in divorce. This happens in our families. This happens in our workplace. It happens in our neighborhood. And yes, it even happens in our churches. Jesus is calling us to a different way. When we fight from our humanity, not our identity in Christ, we fight like the world, not like Jesus. Jesus is calling you and I to more. In this last section, and I'll read through this pretty quickly, Jesus has just talked about four very tangible, practical ways in which we can live in the flesh, retaliate from the flesh, want to fight for our rights in the flesh. But here, what does Jesus say? Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. First of all, the Bible never told us to hate our enemy. The Jews kind of added that, kind of like when we say God helps those who help themselves. It sounds super spiritual, but it's nowhere in the Bible. We're always called to love our enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He caused his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? are not even the tax collectors doing that. In other words, it's easy to love people when they're easy to love. It's really hard to love people when they're not acting very lovable. Even the world can love people that are lovely. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Now lastly, Jesus says this last phrase that sometimes we don't understand what it's saying. He says this, verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this can feel really intimidating because God is perfect in the sense that He's sinless. Everyone here is going to struggle with sin for the rest of your life. The word perfect there in Greek is telos. And telos, the better translation or rendering of that word is fulfilled, mature, complete. Jesus is actually challenging us to something even greater. He's not telling you to be sinless. 
He's telling you to be mature like your heavenly father is mature. I don't know about you, but that's scary because I feel pretty immature at times. Maturity, Jesus is saying, I want you to look more like me. He is calling you and I to mature, to constantly be growing up in our faith. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Jesus is calling you and I to continual spiritual maturity so we look more like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and less like our old selves and less like the world. Now, I'm going to bring a a loving challenge, okay? Uh, When the pandemic first started, we had the God's Got It signs. You guys know what signs I'm talking about? They have all over Clear Lake. Here's the problem. Sometimes we put the signs up and we think that by having those signs that that's what God cares about. God cares more that you act like he's got it than you put a sign up in your yard that says he's got it. We should not mistake the action not being more important than just the phrase. Now, I still think it's a great reminder. We need to be reminded that God's got it. It was a great reminder to have. But God cares more that we act like he's got it than we put a bumper sticker on our car saying he's got it. That's hard. It's hard to live that way. But when we do this, we're doing it not out of a place of selfish pride or out of our own ambition or our own skills. We're doing it out of a heart that seeks to be more and more like Jesus. We do it by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 12 too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus led the way. He is both the pioneer, the one who blazed the trail for you and I, and the perfecter, the one who works in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit so we can become more like him. So we look at the person of Jesus. How did Jesus model these four things? Well, when he was slapped across the face, Jesus didn't just turn the other cheek. He gave them his back to be whipped, his hands and feet to have nails driven through them, and the brow of his head which bore a crown of thorns. Jesus was never sued, but they did strip a purple robe from him, leaving him to walk through the city streets naked, bloodied and beaten, to hang on a cross. And he did it gladly and lovingly. Jesus was forced to carry his cross, but when he was so tired he could not carry it anymore, a Roman soldier forced a man named Simon to carry the cross of Christ so Christ could get crucified at Golgotha. And then lastly, when Jesus says give to the one who asks, Jesus didn't lend us his life. He lovingly gave his life for us as a gift, a willing sacrifice to cover the debt of yours and my sin, a debt we could never repay. All the interest in the world, we could never do it. We cannot make up for the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ was an act of love for you and for me. Jesus gladly surrendered all of his rights, his life, so you and I could have the rights to be called sons and daughters of the king. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Jesus died not because you have the rights. He surrendered his rights so you could be called a son or a daughter of King Jesus. Some of you need breakthrough in this area. You have a stronghold of retaliation that when somebody does you harm, you want to bring it back exponentially. Repent of that. Bring it to the Lord. Confess to Jesus. Say, God, my flesh so badly wants to retaliate. Let the Spirit get a hold of you. Others of you, when somebody attacks your dignity or your honor, you're so quick to use your words and your power to bring back more harm. 
you need breakthrough. How many marriages end up in fights because you're so busy fighting over your rights instead of your righteousness? Jesus wants breakthrough in you. Breakthrough comes when you discover your identity and security is in Jesus, not in the opinions of others, your own rights, or your stuff. I want to leave you with a challenge and an inconvenience. When do you find it hard to trust God? When it comes to defending your honor, your rights, your stuff? What do you do when you feel like your rights are being stepped on? How do you respond? Do you respond in the flesh or in the spirit? To be inconvenienced is this. Jesus calls us to a new way of handling times when we feel attacked or taken advantage of. We become inconvenienced in those moments where every part of us wants to retaliate, to repay hurt with hurt, but instead we choose the third way, the way of the cross, the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in worship, and then Derek's going to come up and give us the benediction, or Megan, somebody's going to come up and do the benediction. Let us come and worship a God who gave his all, who sacrificed his life so that we might have life. Amen? Let's just come and worship the Lord.